All right, we are live. We are live. Another week in the books. How are you doing, Seth? I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. So one thing I want to leave this with is we we actually just launched our podcast. We had booked up the first five, and then now we finally we're recording number six. And now that we've actually launched them, I went back and listened to them for the first time. I'll say they actually held up pretty well. Yeah, I, I would agree. I didn't listen to all of them. I listened to a couple, but yeah, I think they hold up pretty well. I I think it's pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah, the only one I didn't quite finish was bootstrapping. I need to go back and finish that. But the one thing that's funny to me that stuck out is there are a lot of moments where we were like, we're going to cut this. And we just left it in there, which I think is more authentic. I think it's fine. <laughs> and I, I'm actually totally cool with just pushing whatever we want. But that was the one thing where we were like, oh, let's just let's cut this. All right, cool. We're going to cut this. And then we, we didn't actually do that. So how many, how many times did that happen? <laughs> there were a few, there were like three or four. It okay. was mostly me though. You were flawless. Like you were, you were great. It was me. It was me four I, times being like, actually, <laughs> I lost my train of thought here, or I have no idea what I was saying. Obviously, <laughs> obviously when I was editing, I only cut out the mistakes I made and I left in all of your mistakes. <laughs> we're gonna have to fire our, our video editor that's funny yeah no i think it's solid i'm excited to start promoting it i have a tweet thread going out tomorrow about a free business idea that we talked about in the online education episode so i'm excited to see if that picks up we'll see i'm thinking like one out of 10 or 20 tweets will get traction that i tweet out so hopefully that'll work i think that's a good strategy though is tweeting out one idea from our podcast every week. And hopefully some of them will be popular or gain traction as a way to gain followers. But yeah, it's cool. Like, I mean, I think going off of what you were saying about thinking that it was, it's good or you're like, I think it's something that we can be proud of that we're putting out there and I'm excited to share it with people. So I think that's a good place to be in. Totally. I, I think it's also a great way to continue engaging with it is we, we record the podcast and for the most part, you don't know what I'm thinking and I don't know what you're thinking. We have a Google Doc, but we don't really chat about it until we do it live. So I think to go back and say, actually, this was our favorite idea from the episode. To your point, like we're super proud of what we put out, but this was our favorite thing that we talked about. You should check it out. It is really great. And, and I'll also plug your Twitter account because we, we don't really talk about ourselves that much on the show. We mostly just get right into the ideas. You've been like the master of tweet threads recently. You had one go pretty viral last week. Yeah, so my tweet thread on Webflow went pretty viral, which was learn Webflow in 10 tweets. And I used a, like not kind of a template or I, I read a blog post of someone who was doing learn like React or other coding languages in 10 tweets or cra crash courses. And that was working well for him. And he was like, this is the playbook, like try it out on your own thing. Uh, so I thought it was smart and, and did that. And yeah, it, it, that was my first viral tweet. I gained like 400 followers from that. And then yesterday did a tweet thread summarizing an interview Gary Tan did with this guy. What was his name? This guy named Nick Sharma, who has grown a bunch of direct to consumer brands. And that was just me watching the video and was like, I wanted to take notes for myself. And then now I'm in the mindset that I, I want to share these things publicly. And it actually fits in right with one of Nick Sharma's ideas is at the, at the end, Gary Tan asked him, what would you recommend to yourself if you were just starting off? What do you wish that you did? And he said, I wish I was more open about what I was building and putting it out there. He said, the more you tweet, the more you write blogs, the more you put yourself out there, the more people are going to be attracted to you and you'll find yourself surrounded by more and more smart people. Uh, and you can build relationships with those people. So that's part of the, the reason I'm doing it. And, but not all of them are going to be as big of a hit. Like I did, I did a glide crash course, which is like building an app from Google sheet and that didn't go viral the same way Webflow did. And I'm learning. I think the reason is people have a very cold following for Webflow. And that's something that probably just lent itself to more retweets. And the retweets are how you get it to go viral because then your tweet is being seen by all of their followers and and so on so yeah my so my goal actually my my plan as of now or what i'm planning to do is do one tweet thread a day for the, the whole year and 
maybe it'll be a breakdown of a no-code tool, or maybe it'll be just something that I learned or uh, a free business idea. Like that'll be a great one to do weekly because we'll have one from our, our podcast or other, other ones that I like come up with. So that's my plan. And I think over time it'll just compound and some of them will probably get traction and some of them won't. But right now I'm at like a th- 1100 followers on Twitter. So we'll see, we'll check back in, in, in like six months and see the results of the experiment. That that's awesome. I one I'm glad you're doing this too. I'm glad you talked about why it's working. I was going to ask you about that and what you've noticed about which tweets go viral versus which don't. What you said about, Hey, Webflow already has this cult following reminded me of a conversation I had last week, actually, that I was talking to you about, which is that I was, because I'm building courses, trying to teach people how to code in Python. I found this guy who went viral for a post he wrote on Reddit mm-hmm. about a course he made teaching people to code in Python through fantasy football data. Right. His, his advice to me was basically find a community where people are already fanatical about the thing that you're, the topic that you're building about. So like Python might not be something that people who play fantasy football are fanatical about, but fantasy football people are like freaking fanatical about fantasy football. And oh, by the way, there's a huge data component there. So there's like a ton of overlap. I think that one of your tweet threads, which I'm sure you were going to do anyway, at some point in the year is breaking down like in 10 tweets, what have you noticed about what goes viral or what takes off and what doesn't. But yeah, that was like, that was one insight that stuck out to me that is so obvious on the surface, but I'd never really thought about before. And yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's exactly right. And like another example, the only reason my tweet from last night, breaking down the Gary Tan video did get some traction. I think I gained like 20 followers, something from that, but that's because both Gary Tan and Nick Sharma both retweeted it. And Gary Tan has like a hundred thousand followers and Nick Sharma has like 60,000 followers. So you get, if you're, if you're providing value to their, like someone larger than you's followers and they retweet you, then that's, and that's also a way to kind of have that, a small connection to them as well. So, yeah. I didn't even realize that Gary Tan, re- Tan retweeted you. That's awesome. Yeah. This is so cool. So I follow Gary Tan. You're going to be in my timeline. Wow. That's so cool. Good for yeah. you, man. That's awesome. I'm glad you're doing that. Strategy. The other thing that, the other reason I'm excited about it, and also the reason I'm excited about this podcast in general, is I do really love no code and and preaching it and talking about it. But I don't, uh, I don't want to only talk about no code and and building it. I really want to connect that to building businesses and more entrepreneurship uh, broadly. And that's where I think a lot of these like the Twitter content can be not only no code, it can be other content. And that also ties really well into this podcast. So that's kind of like the, the site, the circle, like the virtuous cycle that I'm thinking about. Yeah, totally. I, I love that. And like, to your point, this is, these are the conversations that we have all the time back at the apartment. They're just now being recorded. We always talk about businesses. We're like always jamming on, Hey, what do you think about this? Oh, is that viable? Actually, I disagree with you. Uh, so it, it's cool to have time. So I decided to just chat about that every week. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Which uh, actually gets ourselves into the podcast because we spent the past 10 minutes talking about something that's not the topic of this podcast, <laughs> which we tend to do as well. We love a good rabbit hole. So, so yeah. So why don't we go on? What's the one, what's one thing that you really want to talk about on your list? Okay. So I, I want to talk about our, our topic for today is travel, um, just generally traveling. And I was thinking about this topic because I traveled over the weekend for the first time in a while. Like first time I got on a plane in a while, went to a different city, stayed in a hotel. It, it was really, it made me think a lot about what travel after COVID is going to be like, what's going to be normal, what's going to go back to normal, what's the new normal. And what struck me, at least personally, was that the experience of being in a different city is amazing. And I love that. The experience of traveling to a different city, being on a plane, going to the airport, being stuck with other people, sitting in the middle seat. Uh, with other people around you, that is totally gone to me. I I would really prefer to not have to do that again, even in a world post-COVID. And so I was thinking a lot about what are the issues currently with just the travel process? And then what could some potential solutions for those be? So things like sitting in an airport for a while, plane delays, sitting next to people on an airplane. I think that there are a lot of potential solutions for this, which aren't even crazy technological leaps. Even things like could you book the entire row of a plane and that would automatically make it a little bit safer than having the risk of somebody booking the seat next to you or the two seats next to you. So that was one area where I wanted to start. I don't know if you have any thoughts on travel post COVID or even travel during COVID, but I, there are some jumping off points from there. Like 
if people are worried about catching sickness from people when they travel, are these COVID conscious destinations going to take off? And I know that's something that you had written about as well. So I'm just curious how you're feeling about this. Well, I guess the question is, do you think some of the, do you think these concerns will even be concerns once there's herd immunity? So maybe, I don't know, six months to a year from now, will, will these be concerns or, or, or will it just go back completely to normal? They, they won't be concerns, in my opinion, for COVID specifically, but there'll be concerns for other diseases, like even catching a cold during flu season. If I'm traveling around Thanksgiving to go see my family, I'm probably going to wear a mask regardless of whether or not there's COVID. And I'll probably wear like two masks and, and N95 and something else just to make sure that I'm double protected. Because one, I don't want it, but two, I don't want to give it to my family. Like I don't want to get my parents sick. So I think there will just be more consciousness around safety on airlines. It, it may, I may not be concerned about just getting on an airplane, but I, I certainly think I'll take precautions in the future when I do travel. Yeah, I think so too. I think that, I think for airplanes, trains, public transportation, people will wear masks just in general. And, and I think that's a trend that was already happening in Asia before COVID. That was, I think, pretty common for people to wear masks on public transportation because they already understood what we didn't understand in America, how, how unsafe that was or how, like the, how risky that is to catch a cold or catch some sort of sickness. So I'm with you there. I, I would imagine that for almost everything else, like going to restaurants, going to concerts, I don't think people will be wearing masks at concerts, probably not. But I think in an enclosed, very enclosed space, like public transportation, that it will happen. So I guess what are the, okay, so what are the opportunities that are going to be in the future because of that? Yeah, so I had I had three ideas. One, and they're all related to basically plane travel. Yeah. Uh, and all three are things that currently, the technology at least currently exists. It's mostly just throwing more money at the problem. So one, do you think more normal people will take private jets? Uh, and will that, is there an opportunity to make that more affordable for an average person? The second one is taking something like clear, which helps you navigate through the line process of security. And I'm wondering if you could take that 10 times further and like skip waiting in a plane or an airport altogether, uh, just get driven directly to the plane from some outside space so that you don't actually have to wait in the airport. And if there's a delay or something, you can just hang out in this more private area. And then the third one is, which I think could be a revenue source for airlines, if you could buy not just like buy extra baggage, but you could like buy the entire row or block it completely so that you could just sit by yourself and not really be at risk of anyone else sitting next to you on an airplane. So those are three pretty pragmatic ones. I know that you had a couple that were more like destinational. I don't know if you have any, either any reactions or any different opportunities that you think are interesting. All those are potentially interesting. I don't know if there's way, I mean, all of those just basically involve spending more money to get more space, which I guess the question is, will that just become more normal for mm-hmm. people to be willing to spend more money for safety? And I'm not sure, maybe. depend. It's, it's A lot of that stuff is so much more expensive that it's not really accessible for, for most people. My Yeah, my, I mean, I think my business or my opportunities that that I was thinking about just with the COVID and post-COVID is essentially travel guides that help people know what to do when they're in a city that is more COVID safe. Because you might know in your own city, oh, this restaurant's good, or this place has a lot of space. These are activities that I can do. And if you don't live there, then you wouldn't know. So I think that's an opportunity is providing guides for people that if I'm going to Miami, or I'm going any, to any city, what are the activities that are, are more COVID safe? Which places are, am I going to feel more comfortable going to? And I think knowing that upfront would also make people more willing to go to that city. And maybe there's also ways that you could pre-book those activities. And, and if people could book their, book their whole trip ahead of time, knowing that the experience is going to be safer for them, then I think that could be something that that people would be interested in. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I was I was trying to think of potential applications of that, and I'm curious how specifically you think it would work. One thing I was just doing while you were chatting is I was going to open table. I was curious if even you could do something like filter on places where you can do outdoor dining, which would make a lot of sense for me for a lot of these 
booking platforms to be like, hey, this is a safe, here are restaurants that will offer you a safer, safer alternative if you don't want to eat inside. And I was trying to look up, it looks like the website's down at the moment, but a mentor of mine, Conrad started this website called, and I think that makes a ton of sense for him to expand into that. I, I can't access the website to see it, but to your point, I think it makes a ton of sense to have guides on what are the like absolute best things to do in the city that, oh, by the way, are COVID friendly. For sure. Yeah. So here, so let me go into one of my business ideas and I can break it down a little bit. And this is <laughs> a trend on COVID, I think, but also isn't, isn't only a COVID trend. It was happening before. So it's just this idea of van life, which is the trend of people living in vans. And I think the trend is really not necessarily even vacation more. It can be vacation, but it's also just living in your van and working remotely from your van and driving around America. And by living in the van, like the van has a kitchen and it has beds and, and like two people can, can live in the van. So there are definitely companies out there where you can rent vans. I don't think there's like a ton of them and I don't really know what kind of marketing they do. And like, it doesn't seem like I'm not, I haven't actually tried to purchase the rent one myself. But here's the idea. I, I think there's a ton of a ton of demand for this thing, this right now. And I think part of the issue or part of the opportunity is education around what is this like? What is this going to be like? Where am I going to sleep? Where am I going to park the car? Are there routes for me to take? Like I think there should be more education and curation around renting these vans. And you could do ads to people in any, every city. First of all, you, you could build the fleet, make it really nice. So this would be pretty expensive up front to, to do it. But I think you would make back the money really quickly because you, the vans aren't that expensive and you could outfit them and just make it a really high, like very good experience, like, like five-star experience for renting these vans. But that, that to me is like the more thing that I'm, I would be, intimidated by is if I did rent the van, like what, where would I, do you, do you just like drive into campsites or if you do like help, there should be ways to help you book that part of your vacation and that part of your experience. And I think if that was all taken care of, I think it's a, the safest way to travel right now and could be, could, I think will continue to be popular even after COVID a for the safety reasons that we just talked about and B just cause it's a fun way to travel. So yeah. that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's an awesome idea. And you were written it as Airbnb. So I guess you're imagining it's not necessarily a permanent, you're going to take this van out for a year and you're going to rent it like you would an apartment. It's more like, Oh, I want to take a van for a month and travel around all the national parks, which go ahead. Which I, I think makes a ton of sense. And I think your point about like being in a van and traveling around and doing a road trip sounds amazing, but like that that's only a small percent of the experience. It's its like, what do I do with the van once I have it? How much does it cost for uh, gas? Like it, it probably costs a shit ton. How do I even get this? Is it nice? Is it, how do you drive this thing? Is it harder to drive than a, a big ass truck? I think all these pragmatic examples are really smart. I also wonder if there's an opportunity in creating the infrastructure around it, like campsites, you were mentioning campsites that already exist. I wonder if you could create services at different campsites at near these national parks so that in different vans, like you could come in and you can have outdoor activities with other people who are staying at that campsite and you could charge a fee for people to stay overnight and park there. I, th I think there's a ton of opportunity around this. And one thing that you, you didn't mention also is that your roommate's currently doing this which uh, I think is, is like a huge validation of this. Just the two of us are seeing all the pictures. I was chatting with him last week about his experience. It's, it's like something that inherently once one person does it in your friend group, you're like, oh my God, that's the coolest thing ever. I want to do that too. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I was going to mention that, that yeah, my roommate is, is on, that's where the inspiration came from is that he's doing it. And then that was also where the inspiration came from was thinking about if I were going to do it, what are the questions I have and what would, prevent me from doing it or how would I even think about it and I, I think for them I know they rented their van from Colorado and I don't think they could have even done it from DC like there should be an easy way to pick it up out of ma every major city right if you're in Boston if you're in New York make it easy for people to grab the van get a friend and 
go on a week-long road trip or even go on a weekend road trip and get an awesome band. So I think that making it really easy for people in these major cities who want to get out of their cities to get these awesome bands and go on the trip. And then it's viral from there. If you're in New York city and all your friends are doing these awesome trips and these awesome bands, everyone's going to want to also do that. I, I totally agree. There's, you know, the service getaway. Yeah. It's a similar thing. Yeah. I, I think it's similar, but even better. Yeah. Because especially like we live in DC, neither of us has a car. So to get out to wherever that getaway location is, we have to first rent a car and then get out there. And then it's already super expensive, but it, it was like 350 a night for a room. Sammy and I were looking into this. Mm-hmm. I, I think this makes a lot more sense. It's you don't need to build out any location or like tie yourself to any one specific location. You can give suggestions of here are people's favorite places and here are pictures from Instagram that tag van life and different locations around DC. You can like see which one you want. And this one's really pretty. And okay, I'm going to go here. But I, I think this makes even a lot more sense and get away. Yeah, I think so too. And, and, just imagine the experience. It would be like, okay, you're going to get it from DC. How many days are you going to be gone for? Seven days? Okay, here's here's five different itineraries that you can leave today, come back a week from now. Here's exactly where you would stay, how much it would cost, activities you can do, and make it so easy and make it a no-brainer for people to book it. Totally. I'm curious too, do you know anything about the economics of buying a van upgrading the van, putting money into it, like how much it would cost for even ballpark uh, an individual van? Yeah, so let's let's break, let's do some back of the napkin math real quick. Okay, so just based on this one website, this person online bought an old van for 3,700 off Craigslist and they spent $5,000 converting it. So let's just assume you're, you're spending, let's just say you're, let's just say $10,000 on, on the van on like a used van it's it's maybe this one maybe was pretty old so let's say you can get one that's a little bit newer and then let's say let's even say ten thousand on renovation so let's say twenty thousand dollars per van which is pretty expensive but let's say you started in one city right so you start in new york and you start with a fleet of 10 vans or 20 Mm -hmm. vans but we can we really just need the economics for one van right so if it's twenty thousand dollars how many years are you going to get out of the van? Let's say five years, five years before you have to throw it, like get rid of it or it just doesn't work anymore. So if it's $20,000, how much, how much per night are people spending on this? Getaway charges $350-ish, but let, let's just, even if you be conservative, say $200 a night, because it also makes math easy with 20K. Yeah. And I think $200 a night is reasonable. Yeah. Maybe that's expensive. I don't know, but... If it's $200 a night and you rent, you're able to rent it out for, I mean, the math works out really well. Cause if, if it's $200 a night, you only need to rent it out a hundred out of 365 days a year to make, to break, to make your money back on your initial investment. And then after that, it's all profit on the bands. Basically, if you rent it out every weekend for, for an entire year, then you're fine. Exactly. Even if you're only renting it out on the weekends, you're going to make back the initial investment. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be more costs. Maybe let's say it's because you'll have to pay for parking for the van to store it somewhere throughout the year. There might be insurance for it for repairs if it if it has to get to that point. So I don't know. There, there will probably easily be more costs, but especially if these are going to be in big cities, like parking is super expensive. And that might be something that you get more negotiating power with as you get more vans. I think but, you could also park them outside the city and people can get Uber to you to get the van and drop it off. Yeah, I agree with that. Are we just totally under on the cost of getting a van and of renovating it? Because it seems like a... Oh, it's, we're probably under a little bit because also you need to hire people to renovate it, right? I mean, even if it costs $30,000 to get a van and outfit it, is that totally low? It's because you would be buying a used van and renovating and I don't think you'd be buying a new van. That would be too expensive. Okay. Yeah. I mean, even if you had 30 K, I think there are more costs. I don't know if we're considering every cost or we're just passing it on to the customer. I, I guess also $200 a night assumes pure profit and we'll have to like, we'll have to clean it in between uses. We'll have to, I'm starting to see why getaway is so expensive. I still think there's a viable business here, especially if, like you said, I, I maybe, I don't know, like maybe we'll get five years out of it. Maybe we'll get three, but maybe we'll get two. I don't know. 
some people will probably also take it for week-long trips and so it, it probably won't be two hundred dollars or the most expensive if they do that but it's yeah. a super viable business so i'm also looking right now at this website called outdoorsy which is essentially airbnb full camper vans and yeah. $200 a night actually seems reasonable for a van. Yeah. Some okay. of them are less expensive, I will say, but they're also not super, like the nicer $200 a night for a nice one seems about what it costs. Yeah. No, that makes sense to me. I'm, I'm trying to think of, it seems like a pretty viable business because even if you had, say, you could probably even raise a couple million dollars or like get a loan and that, do this with like 10 vans or 20 vans in the city then take this to five different cities. This seems super viable. I'm, I'm not sure why this doesn't exist already. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I think, and then I think you'd run it like a tech company, right? You'd have, and then the marketing would be, you would invest a lot in marketing to get people to book trips with you and then invest a lot on the website. Like I said, I think a lot of it, there is a lot of importance in really explaining to people what this is experience is going to be like for people who have never done this before. Yeah, no, I like this a lot. This is a really good idea. Because you're basically expanding the market. There's a market now for people who are doing this. And then there's a market for people who, heard, who have heard of it, but have really have never been in a camper van or maybe don't really go camping very often at all. So just don't know about this experience so you would but i think want to get out of their cities they want to go on an adventure and they also want to do it in a safe way totally do you think this is seasonal this is my last question we can move off of this in a second but do you think people are only interested in this in the spring and summer maybe fall but definitely not winter or do you think people would do this in winter i think people would do it in the winter i i think you're going to be you're going to have more business in the outside of the winter and it also depends on what cities you're choosing like if you're in boston it's going to probably be hard harder you probably wouldn't start in boston anyway but if you're doing this in la right you, it's if you're on the west coast you have all it's all year anyway so i, I think it is probably a bit seasonal yeah yeah i also so you're talking about marketing for a second i think that's cool to spend a second talking about how you would actually market it i think there's there's one version of this we were already talking about which is for couples and or just for like friends or people who just want to get out of a city i think there's also a bachelor bachelorette party component to it that could take off as well where it's an experience people could fly into a city all drive together go out into the middle of the woods i think that'd be super fun and like, i, I think like, like probably... a fleet of like four fans or five vans yeah yeah exactly you get a couple of them you can all stay there i think that could be super viable yeah, I, I think so too. And then I think I think another part of it is making them nice and making the experience very consistent. And you're making it very Instagram worthy. And you're also want to, I think you want to make people feel comfortable that it's going to be a comfortable experience. We, would, we wouldn't really be going after like actual campers because those people will be actually camping. Whereas this yeah. is for people who aren't actual campers, but want to kind of get the experience. Yeah, I don't even think it's an assumption to say that people will be interested in something like this because glamping is already such a thing. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing, except you're just, you're doing the work of driving the van there as opposed to it being set up for you. Oh yeah, and I would do the marketing very similar to the way Getaway does it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally, totally agree. I think, it's a, I think it's a very viable idea. And right, you would need to raise some money, but I think if you raised a couple million dollars, that would be enough to in a year you could be you could have your vans ready and everything going it would probably it would take a lot of upfront work to get it all built out but i definitely think it, it could work yeah totally agree no i love that one cool all right let me hit you with an idea so i, I was thinking about traveling for my trip but i was also thinking about what it would look like to get a traveling experience within your own city and this is something i've actually thought about before COVID, because I feel like between the two of us, we've spent the past 10 collective years in DC. And I feel like I've seen almost everything there is to offer. Like I've done every running path. I've gone to most restaurants. And I think it would be cool to, to curate certain experiences that even like insiders who live in a city would feel like they traveled to get the experience of. So I was thinking of things like 
Could you uh, partner with restaurants to allow guests to sit in the kitchen and have a, speci a special menu made for them that no one else will have? Could you go to Nats Park and do batting practice? Could you go to like Compass Coffee, which I'm clearly biased for, and sample some upcoming seasonal flavors and give them feedback on it? Like different insider experiences that I think would be really cool and just differentiate your experience in a city so you don't feel like you're doing the exact same thing all the time. Do you think people would be interested in paying for this or no? I mean, I would say probably yes. I would say some of these experiences even more so now than ever because people aren't traveling outside of their city the way that they normally are. I think those experiences would be just as appealing to tourists as non-tourists. So I think they're just cool experiences. So I don't know that it's uh, specific to people looking for things like I think it could be good for, for anyone, just cool experiences in a city. So that's kind of Airbnb experiences, unbundling it in the city, but not only marketing it towards tourists, but targeting it towards people who live in the city as well, just to do really cool things in their city. Yeah, that's actually what I was thinking of, is I was thinking of not targeting just tourists, and, and totally to your point, you definitely could, but also targeting people who live in a city. So like me, and who has lived in D.C. the past five years, be able to feel like, oh, I've lived here and I've seen almost everything except there are these cool experiences that I haven't tried yet, even at these places I've already been to. I think it'd be a really cool way to explore your city and to get more out of it. So I, I think that's viable. I think it would take a lot of upfront work to have to partner with these restaurants and you might have to figure out how to incentivize them to make it worthwhile. I'd imagine that the sales of that would be pretty difficult, but I think that there's definite consumer interest in it. It's in my mind like Groupon, except Instead of the experiences being shitty, they're really cool. And instead of it being cheap, they're really expensive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that actually. Like, yeah, a marketplace, it's a marketplace for very, very cool experiences at local places. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you had even, I want to jump off to your ideas because you had mentioned unbundling Airbnb experiences. And I see that written on your list. So I'm curious what you were thinking about there. Yeah. I mean, pretty similar. The idea there is Airbnb is investing a lot in their experiences and this just has to do more with travel. And I was thinking about it more so for tourists. So making it, they're just making that platform for built out for the city, but I wasn't thinking at it much differently than how can you take what Airbnb is doing and do it on your own platform and focus hundred percent on the experiences and those experiences are similar to the types of experiences that you're talking about i like the idea of targeting it not only to to tourists but also to people who live in the city yeah and i want to stick on this point too because i was texting you last week so it was my birthday on friday and i wasn't really sure what i was going to be doing for my birthday there was a world in which i was going to end up staying in quarantine in my room yeah. and I was, I was trying to figure out how could i even if i have to quarantine how do i make my experience in my dorm, the most fun it could possibly be. And I was looking at different Airbnb experiences and I found the experience of actually finding one pretty bad. So even though they've invested a lot in their experiences platform, I, I wanted to do a couple of things. One, I was looking specifically for a coffee making class and they don't allow you to filter or to search. So you have to, you can filter, but you can filter on drinks and then you have to go within drinks and you have to scroll through to find something for coffee. I couldn't just search for coffee directly. The other thing was you, I couldn't search for a date, which maybe I just missed it, but I couldn't just search for something on February 5th and then select that and see what events were available that day. I had to go and click in. And then some of them that I even found were not even available on my birthday, which maybe I just missed that filter, but. Uh, yeah, well, I'm on their website right now and it looks like you can filter by date, but you okay. are filtering by city because it's built out not for online experiences. So you, you would filter by city. So I, I am seeing that you can, I'm not seeing a ton of experiences available. Like I'm looking for experiences on Wednesday. Let's see. Uh, there's one, there, are, there is a good amount actually. Okay, go ahead, but continue. Yeah. The one thing I will give them credit for that I think they do a very good job of is the intro videos that people post on the experiences. When you text the experience to a friend, shows up in your, on at least on my iPhone, that I can directly play the video from my messages app. So I don't have to actually click into the Airbnb link to go watch the video. 
which I think is a very, I don't know if that's something that they engineered or that's something that Apple offered them, but I thought that was a very, very smart product tactic where instead of having to actually even go into the link, I can just like immediately interact with whatever the experience was without going anywhere. Yeah, yeah I like that. That I like that as well. I, I saw I, there was one similar type of experience I saw with Zilla recently was I sent a listing to someone and they show a, a GIF basically of the different images or videos of the home in iMessage. So you can kind of see the listing without actually going into Zillow, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm looking at Airbnb experiences right now and yeah, I'm with you. I, a lot of these experiences aren't actually that interesting. It's just a Segway tour or a walking tour, a bike tour, kind of just tours. Basically there aren't, they aren't actually like Airbnb. What I noticed on Google, when I Google Airbnb experiences, what it said in the header on, on their ad was one of a kind experiences. And that's not actually what they're offering. So they, they, I think they, that's what they want to do also, but they're not able to do it uh, or they haven't been able to do it. So I, I, I wonder why maybe a it's because they're trying to do it everywhere in the world. So it's just too big potentially. I'm not sure. I don't know. Why else do you think they're having trouble? I, I think there are two potential problems. One is, or, or two potential like ways to to attack Airbnb on this. One is I think that if you truly found or had a differentiated experience, I think you could really stand out. And so I, I think finding those and getting them onto Airbnb would be one opportunity. It just seems like there are not that many good experiences on there. I don't I don't really know what those would be, but I, I think that if you really had a standout experience, whether that's like cooking some like specific dish that's really cool and like very picture worthy or I, I actually don't know but or, or I, I just don't have any ideas off the top of my head yeah, I, think that's, I think that's actually a really good idea is if if you want to start a business and take advantage of the Airbnb experiences platform while it's very early and also before travel has really come back but if you can come up with some really cool experiences in your city or or you could even like start a business that's like fran like working with people in different cities to like provide this a really cool experience but if, or if you're in dc and you're like we're gonna go to all the best restaurants and taste food from these restaurants that i've specifically partnered with to give you you know we're gonna go in the kitchen and we're gonna do all this awesome stuff like really unique experiences in a specific city i think that is probably a very big opportunity to take advantage of Airbnb experiences. Yeah, okay. that's a, a better articulation than I was thinking is one, I think there's an opportunity on the actual experience side of providing differentiated experiences because there just are not that many. Yeah. The other is you could, you could like enable more experiences by franchising them, like you said. The third one is you could build a better platform where there are actually differentiated experiences on there. So I don't know, like experiences that I think would be cool. This is, these are totally off the top of my head. So I'm just kind of spitballing here, but I'm imagining something like calm where you wake up and you meditate every day, but instead it's like you have people in a bunch of really beautiful cities. You have someone who's on the beach in Hawaii. You have someone who's in New Zealand, someone in the mountains, and you could like tune in every day and your, your background, or your computer just turns into that destination. And you can just like sit and look at it for a while. I don't know if that one's actually going to make a cut. That, that sounded cooler in my head, but yeah, anyway. you're going there. Yeah. So the idea is you're just, you are, zooming with these people that are in these locations my idea was you could like more that you could create these recurring experiences that are like taking the position of someone who could aggregate all these different i don't know if this is actually going to go anywhere we might just cut this part out but because uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm spitballing this on the fly but taking the position of someone who's going to aggregate all these like different people together and and not necessarily be the experience provider but someone who's going to enable the experiences onto the platform. Like it, I would consider paying a monthly fee to be able to go in and for example, like uh, tune into watching the beach in at, at Hawaii one day and then like sitting in the middle of the woods or looking up at the uh, Northern lights one day and just have access to footage of that. It is like very differentiated and someone who's very high quality putting that together for me just to look at. And part of my, part of my inspiration there was over the over winter break, Sammy and I would like just sit while we were just in her living room 
And Netflix has this one channel that is, or one show that is just a fire crackling. You don't even need a fireplace. It's just like literally shows a fire crackling and it lasts for an hour. And yeah. it's satisfying to look at. And I, I, it was like very soothing and, and therapeutic. And so I think that something like that, but it's just a different, really beautiful, calm place every day would be really cool. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that's cool. I see that. That could be a VR app where you, you put on your headset and you are at the beach. Really high quality footage, potentially also. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that one actually has legs. I was spitballing on fire. Yeah, no, for sure. Maybe we'll cut that one out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what other, what from your list do you want to get to that we haven't talked about yet? Okay, let's see. So we can talk about this one. I think, so I think this idea of co-living is pretty interesting, especially at, with more people working remotely. Not only people who are entrepreneurs who have the ability to work from anywhere. Now, I think just about anyone is going to have the ability to work from anywhere, anyone who works from a computer. And even if they go back to the office, it's probably going to be much more acceptable to say, hey, I'm going to work remotely for the next two weeks and no one will probably care. So I think that this opens up a ton of opportunities to, to create co-living areas all around the country. And one way to do it is to make it vertical specific. So everyone living in this co-living space is an entrepreneur. Everyone living in another co-living space is interested in something else, or it could just be all people that are working in tech. I'll just use that as an example, because that's probably the people most likely anyway, and what I'm most familiar with. So Outsight is one example of kind of this co-living membership. So you can, Outsight has houses all over the world, and you can go live in these houses and it's probably mostly tech people. But yeah, I think, I think just this idea of saying, I'm going to sign up for a month, go live in this co-living space with other people that have similar interests to me, that's in a really nice area. So kind of this idea of half vacation, half working. And I think that's going to become more popular. So I think, A, there's an opportunity in creating these and jumping on, jumping on this trend of more people wanting to do this. And then I think, B, there's going to be an opportunity to build software around these co-living homes and helping them manage, helping them manage bookings, helping them manage all of the things that go into having 10 people in a house, right? So, so chores, how do you manage the food that's in there, in the, in the home, snacks, all those types of things that are going to go into managing this type of uh, accommodation. So I think that there's two opportunities that I can think of that are going to happen as a result of this trend that I see growing over the next five to 10 years. I've never heard of Outside. It, this is a super cool company. The, yeah. They've done a really good job building their website and just showing it off. I, I have a couple of questions. My first one is how important do you think it is that the house is designed for people in a specific interest area? So for you, how important would it be for all the people in your house to be interested in tech? I, I actually don't think that's super important. I think that I think that for some people, it'll be more important than for other people. I think for me, the cooler part would be going, I think it depends on, I think, I think both are interesting. It depends because one uh, trip could be more so I'm interested in being in a cool area, be, having the ability to, to get work done but also having the ability to meet people, but it could just be people from any type of background. But then I also see the benefit of like really wanting to be productive with work and, and even work with other people and, and have it be a highly curated group of people where you have to apply and, and get accepted and things like that. So I think that it both are, are viable, just depends. I totally agree with you. My initial hunch was the mix of people is not only not important, but that I would want a diversity of people. Like I, I think it's way more interesting when the people around you are not only interested in like entrepreneurship, but also in they're, they're like trying to become actors or they're trying to, they're interested in food or whatever it is or journalism. It's kind of like living in a college dorm and replicating that experience. Yeah. And just making it more adult and more bougie and 
way cooler. And I, I totally agree with you. I think that there's a lot of opportunity there. I also, I like what you're saying about the opportunity being more on the services side and helping build the platform than it is on actually building out these spaces because that's going to take a shit ton of money to scale. And it takes a while to get these built out and get off the ground. Like I'm looking at all these build outs. I'm looking at the pictures now. I've never seen this before, but these are very nice spaces and they're like very highly curated. Uh, and there's a specific look for all of them and it can't be cheap. Yeah. It can't be cheap, but I love this model. I think that this is something that sounds very appealing in the future. And especially if you want to go the flexibility of it, I like as well, where if you want to go somewhere for a week and stay somewhere, then I think that this is something where I, I would even consider traveling on my own and doing this or even going with one other person and staying in a house like this. Like I could see the two of us going to do this, staying somewhere and just kicking it in Tahoe for a week and working remotely with other people. I think this is super compelling. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's like travel, but not even taking vacation, but still getting the perk of being in a different city. I I, I love this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think what's opening up this opportunity is that it's now not only open up open to like digital nomad entrepreneurs who work on the internet, it's open totally. to just about anybody. Totally. Some of these international destinations are amazing too. Like these ones in Bali in Indonesia. Yeah. Are- Absolutely yeah. incredible. <laughs> These are amazing. Yeah, you should do this. This is so cool. I don't know if these are actual images, but these are people like surfing and <laughs> just in bathing suits. This is awesome. This looks amazing. And I love that. Do you want me to hit you with one more and then we can wrap up? Yeah, what's one more that you want to get to? What do you think of this dress clothes idea? Or do you want me to, do you want to not talk about that? No, we can do that. Is there another one that you'd want to do instead? No, because you shot down my party hotel idea. <laughs> well, we can do the party hotel. The, the issue with party hotel is they kind of exist. Like there are higher end hostels. I, I, I get, I guess you're saying. That's what I'm saying. So, okay. So for context, for whoever's listening, which is probably just our parents at this point, I, I royally, royally, royally messed up because when I went to Barcelona two years ago, I made the mistake of staying in a hotel thinking this is gonna be really nice and I want to like treat myself and stay in the city and it'll be cool instead of staying in a hostel with other people. And I had a way worse experience. I begged you to stay in a hostel. (laughs) You Seth specifically told me to stay in a hostel and I thought, no, this is gonna be great. I'm just gonna enjoy myself and stay in in this really nice hotel. And I, I wish I had the best of both worlds. I wish I had the opportunity to stay in a place where I still had my nice room. I could go back, hang if I want to, but get all the benefits of being in a hostel where I'd meet other people. It'd be more social because I, I realized that I, I really miss the experience of being with other people when I traveled to a city by myself. And that was something I was totally missing out on. So you don't think that there's a market for a very high end hotel that happens to have hostel properties. So I think that there is. Okay. So I think there's a market for what you're describing. It does exist in a, in a sense in that you can book a private room in a hostel in a hostel they're just a little bit more expensive those private rooms they're not you know they're not ritz the ritz carlton but they're they're going to be a, a fine room right and it's a private room a lot of them have their own bathroom some of the newer hostels are actually pretty nice so it's that's probably kind of what you're getting at that is what i'm getting at it's there, Carlton level quality but uh, so just if, if you want like you know four or five star hotel quality also very social I guess what I'm imagining here is kind of like let's take what I don't think it works honestly because I don't think there's enough people that have the money to spend on something like that that aren't like families or older that don't that don't want the hostile experience you know what I mean that's so so I just don't know the thing that I was thinking about was a cruise ship, which is kind of the, the higher end experience, uh, higher end, you know, it's expen- more expensive. People are doing a lot of social things on a cruise ship. So that was something that came to mind. Like, can you target that audience in a way? And honestly, something else to think about is I don't, maybe cruise ships will come back hundred percent. People may not want to get on cruises and, and, can you recreate that experience on land? Something interesting that my dad was telling me about the other day was apparently Disney is opening a Star Wars hotel, but this isn't just like a normal Star Wars hotel. You 
you don't like stay in this Disney hotel and go to the parks. You go to this Disney hotel, you go in and you don't leave for two days. Like it's a Star Wars experience. You are you are on on a a spaceship and and everyone everyone just like a cruise ship apparently everyone gets on at the same time so everyone gets on at the same time just like a cruise ship you're all i don't know whatever activities star wars related you're doing for two days i think it's probably for obviously for star wars fans but i think this is a really interesting idea that will be applied to other things so Universal Studios should definitely do a Hogwarts where you go in on Friday and you and you don't leave until Sunday and the whole time you're, just, you're a student right so so I think Disney is being really smart with this and this is something that a it's just a really cool idea that would work anyway but and it also doesn't have to be themed this is just an idea of like maybe like ha- maybe more people just in general maybe people who were going to go on cruises are going to go on resorts anyway, but it's just kind of a, the themed resort is, is pretty interesting. So one, I love that. I, I really hope that they open up a Hogwarts. I would love to go Two, this is, I guess, maybe an extension of what I was imagining is that I think there are ways to make it like an experience that you would want to sign up for that happens to cost a lot of money. That's also connected to the place that you're staying. I think that outside is one application of it where you're going and you're staying somewhere shorter term. And you're paying money, a lot of money, but you're paying also for the experience of the social side of it. Yeah. Uh, here you're paying for the theme and the experience too. So maybe it wouldn't work for just, hey, you can go out and party with these people afterward, or at least like meet in the lobby and go out partying with people. Maybe you could even like unbundle that from the hostel and bring that to different nice hotels in the city. But I don't know if that would work either. Yeah, here, here's the problem with the original idea is the people who, when you're like, when you're 25 or 27 years old and want to like be going out to bars and stuff, you kind of want to be doing that with the people who are staying in hostels. I don't think it works when it's too, when the price gets too expensive. And I just don't know that there's a Venn diagram of people who want to do this and people who can spend the money. And it, I don't know how much overlap there is. Yeah. So that's the, I think that's the exact question that I'm trying to get at is how big is that overlap? And is there opportunity in that overlap? Because to, I guess, to the, like, are there any people in that demographic that actually are interested in something like this? I was, and so that's where it came from. And I was like 25 or 26 at the time and willing to spend the money to stay in a nice hotel, but also wanted the social experience. I wanted the best of both worlds. I think totally to your point though, I'm, I'm not sure if the overlap exists. I think I'd have to do a lot of testing to figure that out. I think that at least personally, outside would be a, a really good solution for me where yeah i mean that, more of a social spin like that's kind of what i was imagining where it's a it's a differentiated nice experience but you're also getting social out of it yeah i think that's i think that's where there's a, a cool opportunity other co-working areas and flying there yeah i think i think that's cool cool is there anything else you wanted to do i think i'm good with my list unless there's anything I'm good with my list too i might save one of them for a, a fitness class or a fitness pod that we do but no that's it Awesome. All right. Carve-outs. Carve-outs. What do you got for me? You go first. Okay. So did we decide that we're going to talk about our million dollar sales prize or no? I don't, I don't have anything for now. So let's do that next week. Okay. We'll do it next week. I'll just preface it by saying that we had a conversation. I don't remember if it was on our last pod or offline, but uh, just about what we would do to celebrate whenever we hit a million dollars in sales, which will happen. It's not an if it's a when, because I think it's good to celebrate these milestones. And I have a thought for that, but we'll save it for next week. The other one though is sitting downstairs, which I'm about to go pick up is an espresso machine and espresso machine, not an espresso machine. And I'm, I'm very excited about it. I, I've never had an espresso machine before. I've, I've only made four over, so I'm excited to up my coffee game. I'll report back next week on how it is. Awesome. I'm very jealous of that. That sounds awesome. Yeah. it's. I'll, I'll actually talk about it more with my million dollar sales prize because I have more that goes into it because uh, that's also coffee related, but it espresso machines are very expensive and this one seems like it'll be pretty good for a fairly reasonable price so i'm pretty excited about it nice are you does it also have the ability to make lattes and stuff is that built in or do you have to do that separately yeah yeah, yeah. so what you can do is there's a frother so you can take milk you can froth it uh, and add it to the espresso and you can make you could theoretically make like Cortado if you want less milk or latte if you want more, but yeah, it's, so all that's built in. 
Awesome. Nice. That's great. Yeah, whenever you come up to Boston, you have to try it out. I'm excited to see some latte art. Can I ever tell you that I failed Compass Coffee coffee training because I couldn't make the, the heart in my lattes? No. Yeah. I didn't fail, but I, I was basically told I would not be allowed to work on the bar because this is a blob. Nice. All right. My carve out, if apparently it's the number one podcast in tech. <laughs> They'll tell you all about it. They will <laughs> let you know. <laughs> But the All In podcast is actually really good. Been really enjoying it. Matt, I think you've been listening to it as well. But yeah, I mean, I've been listening to it since since the summer before it was the number one podcast. Now it's the number one podcast, but I was listening to it before. <laughs> now it's number 11 overall. So watch out, Joe Rogan. So so it's very good. It, it's interesting because it talks about tech and politics and kind of how they intertwine. And they're also all friends. And I think that makes it enjoyable to listen to. I think that's hopefully the same reason why this podcast is is hopefully enjoyable for people to listen to because we're friends and that just makes it uh, a little more natural. But been enjoying that podcast a lot. So would, would recommend checking it out if if you haven't listened to it yet. I totally agree. It's a great podcast. I My favorite thing about it is that they don't agree for the most part on anything. Uh, <laughs> and... And yet they're still best friends. Like they call themselves the besties. They have a good time with it, but they don't let each other get away with anything. And I, I think it's great because it brings a diversity of views into the podcast. But at the end of the day, they're all still friends and they're all still buddies. And they get really into nuanced conversations, which it feels like do not happen enough these days. So I, I, I echo your recommendation. I think it's a great podcast. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think the other thing that is the thing that's interesting or what part of what makes it good is they, they take points of view Mm -hmm. and they take a side, they pick a side and they will, they will change their mind. It's not like, like no one on there will ever change their mind. But I think that's part of what makes it good as well is picking a side and then having other people pick another side. So I think that's interesting. The other, okay. One other carve out that I just remembered is this company that I came across that apparently is this company I came across and apparently they've grown like a very significant amount using TikTok and it's this college student or it looks like, or maybe he just graduated college, but it's this uh, insole for Chuck Taylor shoes. And what's very cool about, there's two things that are very cool about it. One is leveraging TikTok to, to grow his brand. And he's doing it just by being very authentic, basically telling his story on TikTok. So it's all about storytelling, which also links to that. There, there's a connection to that tweet thread that I, it's, that I was talking, what, what that tweet thread, um, what Nick, Nick Sharma was talking about, which is tell your story, don't sell your product, tell your story. And then people will want to support you. He also talks about pick the channel that you're good at. If you're good at TikTok, do TikTok, but focus on it. And if you're good at YouTube, if you're going to be better at YouTube, do YouTube, whatever you're going to do, do pick, pick your channel and be good at it. This guy is telling a story and he's very good at TikTok and he's using it. Right. So that's one, one thing that I found really interesting about it. The second thing, I think his website is feelyoursoul.com and soul S O L E probably as, as like this insult. And it, the, the site is probably built on Shopify, but the site is the most, it feels like I'm in, I'm like walking into a, like a boutique store in a, a cool store in a city. And I hope that more e-commerce stores do this. And I think that they will. So there's like gifts. So there's things spinning, like it's, the way that they talk to you is like, you feel like it's a, an actual person talking to you. There's so many images, images of people, images of him, like packing the boxes, the store, he has his story, like front and center with a video of, of exactly like what they do. Lots of videos, lots of gifts. So it feels like it's alive. Like it just makes it feel so much better better than a cookie cutter website that every other website looks like. And I think that's something that there's a lesson in what he's doing to make it feel authentic that every website should do. I'm on the website right now. And it, it's actually S-O-U-L if anyone's trying to Google it, but I, I totally agree with you. It feels like someone is very authentically just like having a casual conversation with you about this very cool brand. They, they're 
branding and, and design is very on point. I love their logo. It's like very easy breezy. Uh, it, it's, it's great. They did an awesome job designing this. I love this. Yeah. And I think the lesson is people want to, they want to buy from a person. They want to buy from you. They don't want to buy from yeah. And that applies to, to so much. Totally agree. We'll have to, we'll have to have another conversation about how we apply that to our businesses. But I think that for you, for no code at the very least, like you are front and center and you're, you're like the teacher. So you, I think you naturally do that with your website and you do a good job of it. Of like, Hey, you're, I'm going to like be the person who's directly walking you through all of this and I'm managing the community behind it as well. So I think you do a good job of that on your own, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that you're totally right. Like people don't want to buy from these big heartless corporations. They want to buy from things with no pun intended, but with soul. Yeah, for sure. And you do the same with black nine five. I mean, it's, it's easy when you're doing teaching people something online. Cause you're, if you're recording yourself anyway, then I think that it's natural, but I think that's a good takeaway is thinking about how can, how can you take it to the next level and really make it feel like really put your personality into your brand. Yeah. And, and something that we had talked about before too, which when I was filming, like I'm five, I, I felt like the first bunch of videos that I shot were me trying to read a script and make it sound cool on camera. And I think the videos that turned out the best were the ones that sounded most like me actually talking as if a camera weren't there. And being able to do that is a skill and it's, it takes practice. So whether that's copywriting to make it sound like you and, and like genuinely you or filming videos to do the same, it's something that you get better at with practice. And I think something very important to be intentional about. For sure. Yeah. Cool. See you later. See you, buddy. Good job today. <laughs>